This morning we're in uh, Genesis chapter 21. We'll finish up 21 and hopefully go through the first eight verses of 22. Well, we're getting back to Genesis after our Easter services of last week. And we see the tension that is in Abraham's family. And we see that unrest coming to a head when Ishmael mocks his little brother, Isaac, who is a toddler. And he mocks him at a feast that Abraham is giving as a little coming out party for Isaac, a weaning party. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she can't take this mocking anymore. Uh, especially from the son of the bond woman. And she tells Abraham, it's time for Ishmael and Hagar. It's time for them to go. Time to put them out, Abraham. Now, I believe Sarah knows this is going to be difficult for Abraham. But she's reached that point where these children must be separated in her mind. Ishmael must be separated from Isaac. And here's the peculiar thing. God is in agreement with Sarah. And he tells Abraham, do what Sarah is telling you. And Abraham, even though reluctant, he puts out Hagar and Ishmael, and he tells them to go out into the wilderness, flee, And he gives them food and he gives them water. But soon that water supply and food supply run out. And Hagar and Ishmael both uh, cry out to God. And it says that uh, God hears the cries of the lad. God hears Ishmael crying out to him. And God opens the eyes of Hagar, and she happens to be by a well that is just created by God or been hidden by God. But anyway, they find provisions out there in the wilderness, and we see God providing for Ishmael and Hagar out in the wilderness. And this becomes their home. This becomes their dwelling place. And Ishmael grows, and he takes a wife from the land of Egypt. And then scripture kind of leaves Hagar and Ishmael and turns back to Abraham and Isaac. And that's where we pick it up this morning. Genesis 21, verse 22 through 34. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. It's great when the world notices that God is with us. But anyway, now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, posterity. but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. 
And Abimelech said, I did not know who had done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set out seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and they called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. We come upon another Abimelech, another king, and that's all Abimelech means is king, and we, we have Abraham dealing with several kings of that area, and we also see that Abraham is dealing with the commander of Abimelech's army, Phicol. They come to Abraham, and they have a proposal of peace. Abimelech and Phicol, they have clearly seen God is with Abraham in all that he does. It's great to have God's blessings upon your life to the point that others can see it. There's nothing wrong with being successful. Sometimes uh, Christians that are very poor or perhaps unsuccessful look down upon those that are successful but I'm here to tell you I'd rather be successful than unsuccessful it's my nature don't know <laughs> I'd rather be rich than poor I'll tell you that one too but not that we strive for those things but given that choice I prefer successful but Abimelech he wants Abraham to swear or make a treaty of honesty between the two of them. Abraham agrees. But there's a matter of a well, a well which Abraham and his servants have dug, and Abimelech, his servants, have seized this well, ran off the servants of Abraham, ran off the herds of Abraham, and for Abraham, before there can be peace between Abimelech and himself, this issue of the well must be resolved. A water well in a desert or in a wilderness is vital for survival. And it's not a small issue. Perhaps more wars are fought over water than any other subject. Water is a critical uh, product in the Middle East or in any part of the world really and and we have a water issue here a good supply of water is vital to survival out in the wilderness especially for livestock when uh, buying a farm which Lori and I did a few years back 
a good water supply was critical to us even here in the well-watered plains of the south. <laughs> Our little farm, we have three streams, three independent streams, and they flow almost year-round, depends how dry the weather gets. And we have three ponds also. So we have an ample supply of water for our cattle herds. Five. So <laughs> we have lots of water for our cows. But anyway, but it is. It takes away the hassle of having to water your cows if you have flowing water or ponds. But Abimelech, when he's confronted by Abraham, he claims, Hey, I didn't even know anything about this. I'm not aware of my servants taking your well. So they make a treaty. And Abraham gives seven female lambs, you lambs, to Abimelech. And it's kind of a form of a covenant, kind of a promise that they will coexist peacefully and that this well is Abraham's well. Abraham, he also plants a tamarisk tree. And if you're familiar with a eucalyptus tree, that's, that's really what a tamarisk tree is. It's very, very similar to a eucalyptus tree. And Abraham, he sojourns in this land for many years. And it's a land of the Philistines. And now we move to chapter 22. Isaac, by now, he's a young man. Years have gone by, and many of the Jewish uh, commentators, they believe Isaac is in his early 30s. It's not like he's a young lad in his teens or something. They believe that Isaac was probably in his early 30s, and we pick up the story in Genesis 22, 1 through 8. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he says, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. We have God testing Abraham. When God gives you a test, you can count on one thing. It will be a severe, gut-wrenching test. And this test is not to produce faith in Abraham, 
but rather it is to reveal his faith. Abraham, from all appearance, he has learned that obedience is good. It is the preferred way to walk with God is in obedience. Abraham has obeyed God in sending out Hagar and Ishmael. And that was a very painful decision for Abraham to make. Yet Abraham is obedient. Now we have Abraham being called upon by God to be like God the Father. Abraham, I want you to be like me. Abraham must offer his only son, the son of promise, who has yet to have children, and he's to offer Isaac to God as a burnt offering. Isaac, according to God, is Abraham's only son. He is the son of promise. And notice what God says of Isaac. The son whom you love. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. And notice it's used in the context of a father's love for his son. A typology of love here that demands, I think, that we look into this love. Well, the first time beloved is used in the New Testament, it's used three times in Matthew, it's used three times in Mark, and it's used three times in Luke. We have nine uses of the word beloved in those three synoptic gospels. And all three times in each gospel, it refers to Jesus, the beloved son of God. First, it's at Jesus' baptism. And we hear a voice from heaven, and this is God's voice saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Next, we're at the Mount of Transfiguration. God the Father speaks out of a cloud, and he said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. All three Gospels again. Then we read of it in a parable. In the parable of the wicked vine dresser, a parable where God is the owner of the vineyard. And the owner sends his beloved son to receive fruit from the vineyard, saying, Surely they will respect my beloved son. And we see that these wicked vine dressers do not respect the son. They reason among themselves, saying, This is the heir. This is the son of the owner. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And this, re this parable is repeated three times. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so you have the nine-time use 
of the word beloved, and it's every time it's God the Father saying, this is my beloved son. Then we move to the Gospel of John. And we have the first time love is mentioned in the Gospel of John is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his beloved son, that whoever believes him, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there is tremendous deep meaning when God tells Abraham, Take Isaac, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. God is declaring to anyone who reads Scripture, the Bible, that the greatest love that a man can experience is the love of a father for his son. Sorry, ladies. This is God's word. It's a father's love for his son. And God himself has been faithful to demonstrate his love to mankind and to the world in giving his son, whom he loves, as a sacrifice for our sins. So as we progress through this uh, test of Abraham, don't fail to see the love of God the Father coming forth. Understand and realize God has given us his son whom he loves abundantly as a demonstration of his love towards us, mankind. In typologies in scripture we have Abraham and he is a type of God the Father in the story. We have Isaac. Isaac is a type of Jesus in this story. And both of these men are severely tested. And both of these men are asked, be like God the Father and be like God the Son. Wow. But you know, brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to. We're called to be like God. Not that we are God. Don't, don't misinterpret me here. We're not God. But we are called to be like our God. So as we read and consider the severity of this test, and it is a severe test, God is only asking Abraham to be like himself. You just be like me, Abraham, and that will suffice. Abraham is required to show agape love, not an option. He's required. Abraham has received the command of God, go to the land of Moriah, offer Isaac as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. And Abraham doesn't delay. It says he rises early the next morning. One of the reasons I think he rose early, there was no sleep for Abraham that night. You're told to go sacrifice your son. Did you sleep? I couldn't. I don't think Abraham did. But Abraham, he's quick. He's prompt. 
in his obedience to God's command. Abraham is up early and he's on his way. Abraham takes two young servants with him. And Abraham himself has split the wood for the burnt offering of Isaac. Verse 4. And then it says, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. And he sees the mountain of Moriah in the far distance. Lifted his eyes. I don't think Abraham has been able to even lift his head for three days. This requirement of God to sacrifice his son is probably more than Abraham can bear physically. And for three days his head has been bowed and he's not been able to even look up. And I think he pondered the words of God. You want me to sacrifice my son? You want me to offer Isaac, my son of promise, as a sacrifice? But Abraham knows that it's God that has told him to do this. And he must obey. Here it is. I think Abraham trusts God enough. I think he understands God well enough to know that if he sacrifices Isaac, God is capable, more than capable, of raising Isaac from the dead. Abraham has resurrection faith. God will keep that promise, by the way. For God is capable. God is strong enough. God is more powerful than any of us can imagine. And he can raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. He did for his own son. But God's promise of children for Isaac, from Isaac, that's, that's a promise that Abraham clings to. That's what builds his faith, to have resurrection faith, as we read in verse 5. Because uh, Abraham has said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Plural. Not just me, but Isaac and myself will come back to you. Sometimes we think worship, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, can be primarily singing worship songs uh, that, you know, Mike leads us in, and we're grateful for these worship songs, and we enjoy worship. But worship for Abraham and Isaac is the ultimate sacrifice to God. Their act of worship is, I think, one of the most profound times of worship that we will find in all of Scripture. Worship. You ever consider that word? Worship is paying honor or homage to God. It can be performing sacred service to God. Even the giving of gifts to God, like our tithes and our offerings, or in Abraham's 
place, even his own son. To worship God in spirit and truth requires, requires that my heart be involved in acknowledging who God is or it's not worship. We cannot casually worship God. Our heart has to be in it. Worship is not that warm, tingly feeling when a song perhaps to move us. Worship for Abraham and Isaac is offering of their very lives to God. And in verse 7, Isaac is obedient to Father Abraham, but he has questions. Dad, I'm carrying the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers Isaac, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham, he's had a little time to ponder this, think it over. He knows that the lamb to be offered is Isaac, but now Isaac knows. Isaac knows now that he is the sacrifice. For Isaac, for him to be a type of Christ, and he is in the Old Old Testament in this passage, he is a type of Christ, he must understand that he is the sacrifice, or it wouldn't be like Jesus. Isaac knows what awaits him. Isaac, he's a full-grown man in the prime of his life. Abraham is an old man, well over 100 years old by now, probably around 130. And Abraham cannot offer Isaac as a sacrifice or a burnt offering unless Isaac is willing can't happen and for Isaac he must be willing to be a type of Jesus Isaac knows that the promise of God the promise of life of children for grandchildren for Abraham it comes through him he knows this so Isaac has to have resurrection faith also but what a thing. He knows that his father's life is wrapped up in him. We're sure that Abraham had to share the promises of God with Isaac. I'm sure that Abraham had many talks with Isaac about how that he would be the father of many nations because God had promised. Then after the questions, we look at verse 8, 8b, the second part of verse 8, and the two of them went on or continued to walk together. They went on together. Isaac, he has seen how sorrowful his dad has been on this three-day walk to Moriah. Isaac is not dumb. He has seen the, the emotions of his dad for these three days. It has not been a pleasant walk. It has not been a casual time of conversation. Yet, they walk together. Why would I make a point of this? Amos 3.3 3. 
Amos 3.3 sheds light on this whole situation. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Rhetorical question, they can't. In the 23rd Psalm, we read, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Abraham and Isaac are walking together in agreement to worship God. And here's the thing. God is well pleased with their worship. And that is my prayer. I want my worship to be pleasing to God. I want your worship to be pleasing to God. I want our worship team's worship to be pleasing to God. That's why we come together, to worship God, and we want to do it in a way that is pleasing to God. But to worship God, there has to be an understanding, there has to be the appreciation that Jesus was our sacrifice. And so we must worship the Son and the Father in agreement. Knowing that Jesus satisfied God's requirement of sacrifice, thus we do not have to be sacrificed because Jesus fulfilled that sacrifice for us. Thus we worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, I would just pray that we would never be casual about worship. We have beautiful worship songs. Some are moving. Some just capture our very heart with their words. But Lord, we pray that you would capture our hearts and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We want our worship to be pleasing to you, and we don't want it to just be words. We want to offer our very lives to you in worship. Lord, we can offer no more, and in essence, we can offer no less than to offer ourselves. So be pleased with us as a people, be pleased with our lives and receive our worship. And we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.